0: Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays on a post NFL draft edition of the show. Dan Hope joined as always by Colin Haas Hill. Uh, we'll hit on a few different things in this show. We'll also get to uh, Jameson Williams's decision to uh, transfer to Alabama, maybe a, a few minutes of basketball talk at the end of the show as well. But got to start with the NFL draft this past week. And after months of speculation, We finally know where Justin Fields will be playing his NFL football, and that will be in Chicago. Yeah, this to me is like the final send-off of these guys. Like We cover them
1: still pretty decently up until they actually get picked by teams, and then it's like, all right, time to turn 100% of our focus onto the present and the future. Uh, So to me, this is a little bit like a turning point for for us and and probably for all of you out there um, that this is sort of when you – watch the birds fly away or something. Um, and I will say like, I, it was interesting to actually see it happen to see Justin Fields fall out of the top 10 to, to see him go 11, see him end up in Chicago. Cause like, I, I think on the last podcast last week, I still predicted, you know, I, I thought someone was going to jump up and, and take him early, take him within the top five. Um, he goes to 11 and I don't, I, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like it's a decent landing spot for him. Don't you?
0: Yeah, no, I think so. I think it it makes sense. You know, I, I believe the Bears were one of the teams I had mentioned last week when you asked me uh, who were some teams that I thought, you know, could make sense. And, you know, I think, you know, when you started to see him fall down the board there, you fall out of a top 10, you, you had to think like, okay, at some point, like somebody's going to move up and get this guy, right? You know, I mean, it, for a minute there, I was looking like maybe he was going to slide to the Patriots at 15, but Eventually, uh, Chicago makes that move, jumps up nine spots uh, to get Justin Fields and, you know, bring him to an organization that I think is uh, certainly uh, among fans of the Chicago Bears. I think there's a ton of excitement about Justin Fields because this is a franchise that really has not had a great quarterback for decades. And so there's certainly a lot of hope among Bears fans that Justin Fields is going to be able to. Uh, do a lot of the same things he did at Ohio State and and be the star quarterback they've been uh, longing for for a long time. I think our own Kyle Jones and Slack, who lives in Chicago, made sort of the best point about that, which is
1: like Chicago just really wants him to be a superstar. Because if he's a superstar, he is going to be a
0: super-duper star. Everybody's going to know him. Everybody's going to own his jersey. He's going to own the city. Well, the Bears, just, they don't really have that right now. Like They don't have that superstar player like I mean, they've had some other guys in you know recent years you know that you know were that that weren't necessarily quarterbacks but they don't necessarily have that guy right now who's that truly uh superstar player in the city so I think it's a it's a great opportunity for him and uh, a very big city to to have that kind of star power You know, I'm going to be interested in watching Urban Meyer in in
1: Jacksonville, but I'm going to be absolutely fascinated to see what Justin Fields is in the NFL, because this is just to me, this is going to be like a, I don't know if it's, I don't know, I don't know if it'll take one year, if it'll take two years, three years, but it's just going to be a prove it to everybody else who is, who has looked around and said, what in the world is he doing dropping out of the top two, the top three, the top four, all the way down to 11. And I know that that's me. I know that that's you. I know that that's a lot of people out there and. To me, it feels like Chicago is putting some sort of a plan in place where it's going to allow Justin Fields to succeed. And, you know, they've talked about Andy Dalton remaining the starter. They can talk about that in May, and that's perfectly fine. Uh, we're nowhere near the season. You know, maybe he starts out the season as a starter. If he ends the season as a starter, I would be absolutely blown away. Um, but it feels like they're putting in all the kinds of safeguards that you would imagine would help somebody be successful. Because to be quite honest, like, it would be a little bit different, I think, if you just expected Justin Fields to walk into a talent deficient franchise that picked him early that says it's Justin Fields or bust. To me, it feels like they're trying to surround him there with the right pieces. They're trying to put some sort of a plan together to make it more likely than not that he'll
0: succeed. Yeah, I mean, this is a team that made the playoffs last year without very good quarterback play. So you would think that you know if if Justin Fields can can come in. in in that situation, you know, this is a team that's got enough pieces where it's not like he's going to get thrown to the wolves. You know, he's going to be joining a team that's not a great team, but it's not a bad team. And, and so, you know, I, I think that is a plus for him. I mean, obviously if you're Justin Fields, you want to be that top three pick. So I'm sure there was some disappointment in, you know, falling out of a top 10, but, you know, as he said himself, he said, you know, everything happens for a reason, you know, that's a, the way that he is approaching it in terms of, you know, falling to Chicago and time will tell if, if it turns out to be the right fit for him. But, you know, it does seem like they have, uh, you know, they, they want to handle his development the right way, That they want to prioritize his long-term development over just what is he going to do immediately. Now, at the same time, I agree with you that, I have a hard time seeing him riding the bench behind Andy Dalton all year because, you know, the blueprint they keep bringing up was Matt Nagy was the uh, offensive coordinator of the Kansas city chiefs when Patrick Mahomes was a rookie and he didn't play that year, but it's easy to forget. Alex Smith had the best passer rating in the NFL that year, The chiefs were a playoff team with Alex Smith that year. So it's not as if uh, Patrick Mahomes was sitting behind uh, you know, it's not, it's not It's not. as if people were clamoring for Patrick Mahomes to play. Like Chiefs fans were okay with that situation because Alex Smith was performing while they were a playoff team and it was kind of known, okay, this is going to be his last year and Mahomes is going to come in next year. I don't think most Bears fans are going, man, I can't wait to watch Andy Dalton this year. So I think it, as soon as Andy Dalton has a bad game, Uh, there's going to be a lot of calls for Justin Fields to play. And so I would be surprised if Andy Dalton is the Bears starter for the entire season. But, you know, I I do think it's good that they're going into this with the idea of we need to make sure we handle his development properly to set him up to succeed long term.
1: I feel like your certainty level on Chicago fans saying that they're not excited to watch Andy Dalton can be a little bit higher than I think. I think I know that (laughs) I I feel pretty confident in that one, but would you like for me, you know, if I were just grading these picks, like if you can get Justin Fields at 11, I feel like that's an A. Um, Is there any other pick in these, in this Ohio state draft class that you look
0: at it and you would give the team that drafted them an A that you just really, really like this pick? I'd, I'd have to say Tommy Togiai for your Cleveland Browns in, in round four because uh, to me, I thought he w- was going to be a top 100 pick. I thought he should be a top 100 pick. And, you know, I think I think that could end up being a, a steal for the Browns to, to get him in the fourth round, you know. And I think, you know, obviously, you know, one of the questions that I know we got this week was, you know, should Tommy Togiai have stayed in school for another year? And, and I think that's a fair question to ask um, because I I do think that if he had come back for another year that most likely if if he had performed the way he was capable of that he would have gone higher than the fourth round next year I think maybe the fact that you know he was only a one-year starter and not only that but he really only had seven games of tape because of the way this season was uh, probably hurt him in terms of being an early round pick but you know to his credit, he, you know, said all the right things in his post-draft press conference. He said, you know, he didn't regret it at all, that, you know, he he seems really excited to be coming back to Ohio and to get to play in Cleveland. And, you know, that's a team I look at where you look at their defensive tackle situation. uh, They lost both of their starters from last year. So, you know, I don't know that he's going to start immediately, but I think he's going to have a chance to play right away. And if he ends up developing into a, you know, really good NFL starting defensive tackle by his third or fourth year, that wouldn't surprise me at all.
1: Yeah, I think the idea in Cleveland is probably the right idea with with Tommy Tokai. And that's that, like you said, probably not going to start year one, but when they lose guys after the 2021 season, you can potentially put a guy in there as a year two starter who, like you said, if he had had another year to develop, maybe he goes in the second round. You know, maybe maybe he goes even late first, something like that. Um, and to get that kind of value a year early, essentially, I think that that's, that's the play that, that Cleveland went for. And I think that that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I get why some people think that, that Tommy Toney guy should have gone back to school. I always think it's just really hard to tell someone what to do because I don't know if you know. there's a right and a wrong, there, there's a right and a wrong if you're just going to specifically look at where they get drafted. But there are other factors involved rather than just, where am I going to get picked? And to Tommy, he just wanted to bet on himself. He just wanted to go out there because he felt like he was ready and he felt like he could develop. And
0: I think he got put right in the right situation that, that that'll allow for. I completely agree with that. And I think that kind of that kind of takes us to the other side of a coin of, yeah, you, know, you look at a couple guys, you know, I think you can look at where they got drafted and you can go, maybe Wyatt Davis and Sean Wade should have just stayed opted out. Maybe they shouldn't have opted back in because I think – everybody thought that those guys were going to go a lot higher than they did. I mean, certainly Sean Wade, you know, he was a guy who people were talking about maybe he's a first round pick a year ago and he ends up going in the fifth round. And I think certainly a lot of that was because of the fact that his tape and his final season at Ohio state was not very good uh, with, with Wyatt Davis. I, I, I'm not sure it's quite as drastic there. Cause I don't really know exactly where he would have gone a year ago. I mean, maybe he would have been a third round pick then too, but I think that's another guy battled for some injuries in his final season. Uh, I think in our opinion, even though he was a unanimous All-American, did not quite play as well his past season as he did a year ago. And so, you know, it's fair to ask the question, I think, in t- from a draft stock perspective of, man, did these guys hurt themselves by coming back? But at the same time, both of those guys have said repeatedly, they don't regret coming back because they wanted to come back and, and finish out their careers with another chance to compete for a national title.
1: Yeah and and I can respect that and at the same time with them, I just feel very confident that they'd have, if they had opted out then they would have been picked higher. And I think that they know that. I think that everybody knows that and I think that that's an interesting that's just you know that's that's just a little context to it and you know Dan, I know that you and I had messaged back and forth. I think it was the day of the the second day of the draft that I even think if Justin Fields had opted out of the season, I think that he would have been picked higher than eleventh. You'll have uh, that one. That one is more so up to, for debate, and I know that you disagree with that, but but I don't think that there's much disagreement with the other two. Is there anyone else outside of Toya who you just really like their landing spot?
0: Well, I mean, I did put in my mock draft that I thought Pete Warner would go to the New Orleans Saints in the second round, <laughs> so I've got to say that one because. Uh, you know, I was one that I saw coming and, uh, you were actually correct in our, uh, contest, whatever you want to call it last week, but he would be the second Buckeye off the board. I, I was wrong. I said, Baron Browning, who ended up being the sixth Buckeye off the board. But, uh, in terms of Pete Warner going to the saints in the second round, I think that's an excellent landing spot for him. You I know, mean, obviously, uh, as he said himself, uh, that's been kind of the capital, uh, for Buckeyes in the NFL as the saints of, uh, Drafted a lot of players from Ohio State in recent years. And then, you know, if you just look at their needs, I mean, they're a team that has one great linebacker in Demario Davis, but other than him, uh, really doesn't have anybody else who's proven at that position. So that's a spot where I think he can go in and have a chance to compete for a starting job right away. And, you know, that's a team that's had a really good track record of, uh, you know, drafting good players and, and developing uh, their draft picks really well. So to me, you know, that's a perfect landing spot for him in terms of both, you know, opportunity to play right away. And in terms of a team, that I think he's going to utilize him the right way to make the most out of him as a player.
1: Yeah. You all, I mean, you know, my Pete Warner thoughts, I'm always pro Pete Warner. I think that Pete Warner's floor is just incredibly high. And I think that that probably helped him, helped him get picked. I thought Josh Myers going in front of Wyatt Davis was possible. I didn't, I didn't predict that it would happen. Um, Do you think that that's just sort of how the draft fell? Do you think that Josh Myers was a better prospect than Wyatt Davis? Do you think that maybe the Packers just like Josh Myers more than the general consensus was on Wyatt
0: Davis? Yeah, I think, I think a little bit of all of that. I mean, I think some of it might just be the fact too, that he's a center and Wyatt's a guard. And sometimes centers have higher uh, value than guards do. You know, the Packers, seemingly drafted him to replace fellow former Ohio State center Corey Lindsley as their center. So I think, you know, the fact that they were looking for that center is why they drafted, you know, Josh Myers over uh, a Wyatt Davis. And, you know, I, 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 to me, I think, you know, we were both kind of the same boat there. That was one where I could have seen either one of them going first. It was just kind of how the board fell. You know, I, like you fought Wyatt was going to go before Josh, but sometimes it's just a matter of, you know, who, who teams think is a better fit and what exactly they're looking for. And I think the fact that Josh has played center and is a guy who's viewed to have that versatility to play all three spots, whereas Wyatt is probably more strictly a guard, played a big role in, in Josh going earlier. I'm talk about your boy, Baron Browning, because you were you were, you were riding the Baron Browning hype train a little bit in terms of the draft stock. He slipped a little bit, though. Yeah, but here's the thing. You know, he he went with the last pick of the third round, and truthfully, I, I think he went probably where he should have gone. I I thought he was going to go higher because his physical tools are so rare that I thought one of these teams was going to bet on him and and take him uh, in the second round just because the team was going to really bet on that upside. And he ended up almost falling to the first pick of round four where. Urban Meyer, an unusual candor for an NFL head coach, admitted that the Jaguars were going to take him if he was there with the first pick of round four. But uh, the Denver Broncos prevented that from happening. And, you know, I, I you know, to me, I think, you know, he, he's a guy that, you know, I mean, it's interesting. He's going to the Broncos and they're still not quite sure where exactly he's going to play because they're saying they think he can play inside or outside it sounds like they're going to start him out inside i think and i think you think he might be better off outside in that free four scheme as a pass rusher that said if you look at their depth chart i think there's a clearer path to playing time at inside linebackers so i'd imagine that's why they're starting him out there but you know he, he's still one of those guys to me that you know he's very much a project going into the nfl where if they can find the right role for him and they develop him correctly, he could be a star, but I still think there's development that needs to happen there and finding the right role for him, finding the way to utilize him. Cause I, one comment I thought was very interesting from Vic Fangio after the Broncos drafted him is he said, sometimes I think his versatility has hurt him a little bit. And I'd agree with that. I mean, I I think the fact that Ohio state moved him around so much during his career, I I do think that hurt him. I I think the fact that he was not able to just settle into one role and that, you know, Ohio state seemed to never quite exactly settle on what his role was. I I do think that probably hurt him from becoming the player. He could have been at Ohio state. And I think it probably would serve him best in the NFL. If, they can find the best role for him and and keep him in that role.
1: Yeah. It's fun. It was funny to hear Vic Fangio talk about that because he and the, and the general manager in Denver, it felt like I was just listening to Ohio state's coaches again, talk about Baron Browning, because it was like, well, you know, we're going to start him inside, maybe he plays outside. And then they're also mentioning that the versatility has hurt him a little bit. And I'm like, I feel like, feel like this is just the same thing over again. So um Hopefully it it works out for him. Um, The other guy that that they got, you know, I think it's an interesting fit. And and Jonathan Cooper going there in the seventh round, just because, you know, I feel like the ceiling for Jonathan Cooper, I've been a little bit pessimistic on that, but, you know, I've never seen him play three, four outside linebacker. (laughs) That's a completely new position for him. I honestly can't picture that. And back when he was in college, I just never would have
0: imagined that he would be that kind of fit. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting uh, transition. You know, I, I'm I'm going to be interested to see in the preseason or whatever if I have a chance to watch a you know Broncos preseason game how he looks in that outside linebacker role because I agree with you I didn't necessarily think of that as you know something that I would have thought he would do when he was playing at Ohio State but it sounds like that's what you know a lot of NFL teams were looking at him as. Uh, I I noticed that Larry Johnson uh, tweeted a clip on Tuesday afternoon and he looked like he slimmed down a good bit uh, from when he was playing at Ohio State. So it looks like, you know, that's the goal for him is to, you know, play that linebacker spot. You know, he's a guy that seventh round pick, you know, a lot of these guys were talking about, can they compete for starting spots? He's more in that position of competing for a roster spot. You know, he's not going to be a starter for Denver and he's not going to be guaranteed a roster spot, but. You know, we do know that, you know, he's a guy that, you know, uh, is very highly was very highly respected at Ohio State for, you know, the kind of leader he is, the kind of worker he is. And so I'm in, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued to see how well he can make that transition at the next level.
1: Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about Sean way too for a moment, just because, you know, I, you know, I know you mentioned earlier I didn't. It was one of those things where Luke Farrell gets drafted ahead of him. Specialist gets drafted ahead of him. And if you had told me that a year prior, I would have been like, wow, I can't believe he left for the NFL after tearing his ACL. Like, I I would have assumed that something terrible happened um, injury wise. And I'll be honest, like. I expected him to slip. That was maybe even a little bit further than I expected. And, and, you know, I, I wasn't necessarily surprised, but it was more so actually. It was, it was a little bit jarring actually seeing it just because this is the kind of guy who we spent the entire offseason expecting that he would be the Ohio State's number one cornerback. Um, Ryan Day was talking about him, that, that he thinks he's the best cornerback in the country. And then he put forth the season that was just outright bad. And it still earns All-American honors because All-American voters don't really know what they're watching. It was sort of disappointing i think for 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 a lot of ohio state fans who have who, who expected so much and i also think it was a great value for the ravens because if John wade gets back to what he was two years ago they're they're going to have a really good cornerback on their hands and i imagine it's not going to be an outside cornerback you can make a lot of money you
0: can have a good career playing on the inside if it wasn't already obvious that that all american selection was ridiculous that yeah uh, the, the draft made it clear that it was because uh, it, it was pretty clear. I mean, even just hearing, you know, Ian Rappaport who's one of the most connected NFL insiders out there. It was pretty clear when he was talking about Sean Wade, that uh, the feedback he had received from scouts and GMs was not good on his tape from last year. So, I mean, there's no doubt that Sean Wade had a bad year last year and that that uh, hurt his draft stock. But I agree with you. I, I, I mean, I had said it last week. My prediction was he'd go third round. My prediction was, someone was going to look at that tape from two years ago and they were going to take a chance on him in the third round. Uh, So for me, the fact that he fell all the way to the fifth round, uh, I am surprised by that. And I do think there's a very good chance uh, the Ravens are going to end up with a steal here. Because I think, you know, again, another team, you look at a good landing spot, a team that typically uses its guys in the right way. Now, I don't think he's going to be a starter immediately because they've got a pretty good secondary already. So, you know, it's going to be a matter of okay, when can he really earn a lot of playing time there? But I do think that's a good spot for him to to develop. And I think if they utilize him correctly, I won't be surprised if in two or three years, uh, we are talking about him being a draft steal for them in the fifth round.
1: Guy in the fifth round who probably won't be called a draft steal is Luke Farrell, which was legitimately jaw-dropping when it happened. Um, I couldn't believe that Urban Meyer spent a fifth-round pick on Luke Farrell. Um, maybe I, maybe looking back on it, if there was one franchise that would do it, (laughs) it made sense that it was urban Myers, Jacksonville Jaguars, but he just seems like the quintessential safe pick who can carve out a six, seven, eight year NFL career as a backup tight end who blocks a lot of guys and maybe has
0: 12 career catches. Hey, I did say I thought he was going to be drafted. You I, did. I, I you was, did. I was. I was. I, I disagreed. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't have him going at the top of the fifth round, but you know, I was banging that drum. But I thought, you know, he's going to get drafted. He's going to play in the NFL. And the fact that he's a uh, fifth round pick, I mean, you don't take a guy at the top of the fifth round unless you're very confident he's going to make your team. So I think right that right there is a pretty good endorsement that you know Luke Farrell is a guy that uh, certainly Urban Meyer, who knows him better than any other coach of a draft. Uh, thinks that he's a guy who can contribute in the NFL. So, uh, you know, good for Luke. I mean, good for Luke to go that high. I mean, I, I agree. I I thought, you know, I would have been less surprised if it happened around later, but I'm definitely not shocked that he was drafted.
1: Go tell, go tell 2016 you when, when Luke Farrell commits that he is going to be in a position room with Tim Tebow,
0: who that year <laughs> was one year removed from being a Philadelphia Eagle. And to be very clear, Luke Farrell is 23 years old. There's uh, people out there who were fooled by uh, Google showing up the bio for the MLB relief pitcher, Luke Farrell that fought Luke Farrell. uh, The tight end is 29 years old, but uh, he is 23 years old. Uh, So, I mean, I think Colin saw him play when he was in high school. So uh, he, he has not played in the MLB. Tim Tebow has tried to play in the MLB and maybe soon they'll be teammates, but Luke Farrell, uh, has just played football. It's going to be
1: great for them to, to bond over their time in the minor leagues though. <laughs> you know, I thought, you know, just looking at the draft as a whole, I think a lot of people have made the point that this is the story of the national championship game where it was an absolutely loaded Alabama team with eight guys going in the first 38 picks and a a good, great Ohio state team, even with an all time great quarterback uh, in in terms of the program's history and Justin Fields. And I think that that's what we saw in the draft. And, And sure. I think that there are points that can be made that had Haskell Garrett come out, had Thayer Munford come out, had Chris Olave come out you know, Ohio State would have had more draft picks. Maybe it could, if Olave had come out, they could have had a second first round pick. But to me, this this shows the talent disparity as much as as much as anything else. And I think maybe more so than that, it just shows how great Justin Fields was. That he pulled a team that was really really good the national championship game and then you just face a team that's absolutely otherworldly loaded by a bunch of guys who came back and could have gone to the nfl in a a year early and hey maybe we're having this conversation about ohio state next year getting four first round picks in there and and several guys early in the second round but uh this is this is just another example to me of yeah justin fields was really really good and he led this team to all kinds of places
0: it backs up the fact that. Alabama was the most talented team in college football last year. And Ohio state was the second most talented team in college football last year. And so the fact that things played out the way they did, it's sounded like, yeah, that was what was supposed to happen. Like, yeah, Alabama had eight of the top 38 for picks. So yeah, it makes sense why they steamrolled everybody, why they were so much better than everybody, because they clearly had the most talent in uh, college football last year. And Ohio state had more talent than everybody else. So that's why they were playing in the national championship game.
1: Yeah. And maybe we shouldn't, maybe us going into the national championship game should have realized that a little bit more, but I also think that that goes back to the tantalizing talent of Justin Fields and saying, how much do you want to bet that this guy is going to get blown out? And I didn't necessarily want to bet on that.
0: At least now I feel sane that Justin Fields went ahead of Mac Jones in the draft. Like I thought it was crazy, that Mac Jones was going to be drafted ahead of Justin Fields. So the fact that Justin Fields at least went ahead of Mac Jones, we could argue about, you know, why he wasn't a top three pick forever. But, uh, you know, at least it makes more sense to me that Justin Fields was drafted before Mac Jones was. So how many how many drafts are we going to look ahead?
1: So I think that we're going to talk a little 2022 NFL draft. Do we want to talk 23,
0: 24, 25 yet or do you want to wait a couple of years on those? I think we can wait on those or in the depths of the offseason. I think <laughs> I think for today we can just talk about 2022 because if you if you look ahead to next year's draft, I mean again, it looks like, you know, Ohio State who's had 10 players selected in the past two drafts should have a chance to have a lot of players drafted again.
1: Yeah. And it's the case every year, but um, you, when you look up and down the roster next season, you can make a case for a lot of guys. And, and to me, this is, this to me is the entire story of the offseason. I mean, it's, it's been that way. It's all about. Yeah. I how feel like we have these,
0: this same conversation every single year about every, like 20 guys you could get drafted. Yeah,
1: yeah. But, but also like you have a lot of guys who are on the cusp, it feels like. And maybe more so than most years. It feels like there are a lot of guys on the cusp. And like if they can take that next step, you can imagine their first round pits. Like a Tyreek Smith, you know, like a Jeremy Ruckert you know, like a Zach Harrison, like a Nick Petit Frere. You just have a lot of those guys who I think have been really good. And will they will they look like those kind of first round pits? Because if I if I'm just sitting here today, you know, I'm not sure that there's a guy who I say I'm 100% locking into the first round, but I'm 95% locking Garrett Wilson into the first round. I'm putting Chris Olave there too. I think they're
0: both going to be first round picks.
1: I think Chris Olave will be a first round pick. I feel like, I think it's less of a lock than it is for Garrett Wilson. But if I'm projecting today, those are by far the two guys who I feel most confident get picked in the first round.
0: Yeah. I mean, that'll be an interesting conversation over the next year is- who's the better draft prospect between those two guys? Cause I think you could make a case either way. Who do you think as we sit here today
1: and listen, this is the most important conversation we're going to have the entire off season on May 4th, as we record this at three fifty-two PM on a Tuesday next year, who will be drafted higher? Chris Olave or Garrett Wilson?
0: That's tough. Cause I, I, I think Chris Olave is the better player right now, but I think Garrett Wilson probably still has the higher upside of the two. So I lean slightly toward Garrett Wilson, but I think that could really go either way.
1: Yeah, I think that Garrett Wilson, to me, has just... It's kind moved. of like a
0: Devontae Smith-Jalen Waddle here. I mean, like, these are two really good receivers who could both end up going really high.
1: I think you just made one of them a top-ten pick, and he'll won the Heisman Trophy winner. So, <laughs>
0: No, that's not what I said. That's not what I said.
1: <laughs> no, but I think, I think Garrett Wilson offers a little bit more um, in terms of the ceiling as we sit here today on May 4th. I don't have a freaking clue, but I know that Garrett Wilson's awesome, and I know that Garrett Wilson's going to make a lot of money in his career. So, you know, I'm, I'm going
0: to ride the Garrett Wilson train. It hasn't let me down yet. And those are the two guys, you know, to me that I look at as, like, I think those guys are surefire first-round picks next year. Yeah, at a, at a bare minimum, like, lock top 45 picks, like, lock them in
1: yeah and i and i I would and i would like i think they're going to be first round picks but they're not going
0: below middle of the second and they're probably not going below like 40 yeah that would shock me now everyone else like we'll see you know we'll see like i mean to me i mean I've, i've said it before like the guy i think i'm going to be banging the drum for all year as an nfl draft prospect is jeremy ruckert because i don't think jeremy ruckert's going to put up the huge numbers just because of the offense he's playing in but I really believe that, you know, he's a guy who's going to be a great NFL tight end. I think all the tools are there uh, for, you know, both as a receiver and as a blocker for him to be an excellent NFL tight end. Now, will that make him a first round pick? I don't know, because again, I, I don't know that the, you know, huge numbers are going to be there, but I just think in terms of the tools, you know, he's the guy that I look at is like, you know, he, he's the guy who other than Olave and Wilson right now, to me, is probably their best NFL prospect.
1: Did you happen to see Trent Baalke's comments? I did not. They were amazing because they were the exact same comments that we hear every single offseason, and I'm pulling them up right now because if anyone hasn't seen them, I just want to pull them up because it's, it's, it's hilarious to actually see someone else say it. So he's talking about drafting Luke Farrell, and he says – if you talk to, to Ohio state staff, they'll tell you he was underutilized. If you look at their tight end core as a whole last year, they have a young man that's on the team right now. That's going to be one of the top tight ends in the country, his production. When you look at it, the stats, it isn't great. Dan, we have this conversation every single year. Now we got an NFL general manager jumping in on it. I love it.
0: Yeah. I think there was even a question today about which storyline we thought was talked about more of the a- but, but not throwing them a tight ends or whether the bullet's gonna be real. And I think I think we talk a lot more about whether the bullet's gonna be real uh than because the of tight, tight ends. So to answer to answer that one, but one that we think is uh, a more tiresome storyline is uh the tight ends c- catching passes, because we're gonna probably keep talking about the bullet even if we've annoyed you talking about it.
1: Yeah, no, and you know, <laughs> the, the the bullet things yeah, it's it's tough because the bullet was fake and we talked about it a bunch and then ended up being fake. And now we're going to talk about it a bunch and if it ends up being fake, then we'll never use that word again, I promise. <laughs> but in terms of the tight end, in terms of Jeremy Rucker, you're right. You know, he's you know, we, we've only seen limited opportunities that he's gotten down the field to be a pass catcher, but in those in those opportunities, it's just very very evident that he's special that he's really special and he's developed as a complete tight end um, by the time that he goes to the nfl his draft stock will be pretty pretty high i don't know if he can become a first round pick as a tight end out of ohio state you know that's going to be the challenge that 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 will be interested to see and you know maybe it's worthwhile going back and doing a story on, on all the other first round tight ends and what their production was. Cause honestly, I can't
0: imagine that his, w- his would match what most first round tight ends get. Zach Harrison showing up in a lot of these early first round mock drafts. I've seen some of them projecting him as a top five pick, but I think we both agree here. That's projection for Zach Harrison. Is it feasible that Zach Harrison could be a top 10 NFL draft pick next year? Sure, he's got the physical tools, but he's got to show it this year. I mean, to me, right now, we have not seen a first-round pick on film. I, again, would not shock me at all if he has the kind of year that makes him that first-round pick next year, but we still got to see it. Yeah, there's no
1: doubt about that. I mean, the story with Zach Garrison is, is is no different than it usually is. It's just like at some point, you feel like he'll put it together, and whenever he puts it together, that, that he's going to be a commodity when it comes to the NFL. The other guy who shows up in all these mock drafts, almost all of them, I should say, uh, Seven Banks. And it's going to drive me crazy. I hope people aren't out there thinking that Seven Banks is like a first-round lock and that he's showing up so often. Seven Banks, to me, is showing up in all of these because somebody put seven banks in one of them early on. And a lot of these people haven't paid attention to the guys who are going to be 2022 prospects. And they know how it's history at cornerback, And they look at that and they're like, you know what, if this other guy's putting him in there, maybe I should too. Uh, I don't think seven banks has looked anything close to a first round cornerback yet. You know, I think he has the physical tools to get there, but putting him as a first round pick and, and, in any mock draft, let alone the number that we've
0: seen is, uh, somewhere between aggressive and insane. That one, I don't really understand. Cause I mean, obviously we all saw what happened in that secondary last year. I mean, nobody looked close to a first round pick in that secondary last year. That's why Sean Wade fell to the fifth round. So, you know, this idea of, of seven banks being a consensus way too early mock draft first round pick. Uh, I'm not really sure I'm seeing that again. I mean, could, could he get there? Maybe. I mean, maybe. I mean, again, two years ago at this time, we would not have predicted that Damon Arnett would be a first-round pick. So it's certainly possible, but he has to make that same kind of jump like Arnett did in his final season if he's going to do that. And I think that's what we're saying is, yeah, I mean, the, the physical tools are there, but there's just a lot we've got to see that we haven't seen yet for him to get to that point. Can I just play some either
1: or? Will this get dra- Will this guy go higher than the other guy? Because sure. I'm not going to hold you to these, but I think they're they're interesting. Uh, Haskell Garrett or Thayer Munford, who, as sitting here today, goes higher in next year's draft. I'm going to say Haskell Garrett. That's interesting because I'd actually go Thayer Munford. I, I don't really know what to expect from Haskell Garrett next season just because he came out of absolutely nowhere and the way that Ryan Day talked last or or earlier this this year. Is that last offseason for him was just weird and different um, in terms of he had COVID and all the workouts were different. And then obviously he got shot, and that led him to have a very um, minimal time in, in, in the lead up to get ready, and then all of a sudden he plays like an all-American. So, like, what does it look like when he has a when he has a almost full offseason? Because obviously he was dealing with something during spring that didn't get didn't allow him to to participate. But what what do we expect from him this fall? I honestly don't really know. And I feel like with Thayer Munford, Thayer Munford, if he gets hurt, then that'll ding him because he's had so many, he's had such, you know, significant injury history as an Ohio State Buckeye. But four years as a starting left tackle by the time he gets to the NFL draft, and the way that I feel like he's ascended, um, in, in including this spring, you know, I think that the injury history will be held against him a little bit, but I feel like also, you know,
0: he's developed into a really complete left tackle over his time at Ohio state. I really like fair Munford. I think he's going to be a starting offensive tackle in the NFL. I think there's still going to be questions from NFL teams about whether he quite has that top end athleticism to be an NFL offensive tackle. And because of that, I'm going to predict that Ohio state's first offensive tackle drafted next year is actually going to be Nicholas Petit Frere because I love it. I think Petit Frere I mean, again, this guy was a top 10 overall recruit for a reason. He's a guy, excellent feet. He's got that prototype length athleticism for an in, in offensive tackle. I think right now, if you're comparing the two as players, I'd say I think right now, Fayer is definitely a better run blocker than Petit Frere. I think he, he's stronger right now. But I think Petit Frere is a guy that I think NFL teams are going to really like his upside. I think he's already a really good pass protector, and if he can make strides as a run blocker this year, which I know uh, Greg Stadrawa said is a big thing they're working on this offseason, I think he's a guy that I'm not seeing in any of the mock drafts right now that I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up becoming a first-round pick next year.
1: Yeah, he's a guy who, when I'm talking about that potential to take the next step, he's the prime example because right now if he goes to the NFL, like I think he can be solid. I think he can be good. He doesn't really have that size. He is far from – He last year he was an amazing pass blocker. He was just like sort of a positional run blocker. He was fine. He didn't move guys. He wasn't a mauler. He wasn't anything like that. And he's not necessarily big. Um, so I think that if he can become bigger, if he can become stronger, if he can become more powerful in the run game, and you combine that with what he is as an offensive tackle, as a, as a pass protector – like yeah, then you're really looking at something. So so this is really, I think it's I I I like it. I also think it's a little bit projection because you we haven't it is seen absolutely that for him projection. Yet. Yeah, because because for him, like the question has always been how big is he going to be? Um, how big can he be in terms of those eight thousand calorie diets that that he was on or whatever whatever he used to he used to have? And I and I do think he has to get a little bit bigger um, and a little bit stronger, a lot stronger um, to be that kind of guy.
0: To me, I mean, just to me, there's less projection in Nicholas petit Frere being a first-round pick next year than there is in Seven Banks.
1: Yeah, I mean, Seven Banks, you're essentially saying he'll be a completely different player.
0: <laughs> and Nick
1: petit Frere, it's like one aspect of his game will be greatly improved. Yeah, I, I the Seven Banks stuff, that, that's a little crazy. Um, to one, one other one, who gets drafted higher? Josh Proctor or Tyreek Smith? I feel like I know where, where he'll go, but, but what do you think in
0: terms of that? I'm going to say Josh Proctor, uh, that's because not
1: my, that wasn't my guess.
0: No, I'm going to, I'm going to say Josh Proctor. I think Josh Proctor, I don't know what Josh Proctor is as an NFL prospect right now, but I do think the tools are there, but if, if he, he's got to show a lot more consistency on the back end, but I think the tools are there that if he can put it all together, I, I think he's a guy that's got early round draft pick potential. I, I know there's people who still keep saying, oh, you know, Tyreek Smith's a guy who could be a first round pick, but again, I got to see it. I mean, I, 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 I'm sorry. I just, in three years, I just haven't seen it from Tyreek Smith to where I think that he would be in my eyes, more of a middle round pick at this point. I think the physical tools are there, but I, I just got to see more production from him before I, I can get to the point where I see a potential first round pick in Tyreek Smith. Yeah. And he's not like a giant,
1: physical behemoth or anything like that. Like Zach Harrison's like 6'6", 270 or something like that. Tyreek Smith is 6'3". You know, he's a little bit smaller um, than than you might guess. But he does have that kind of athleticism, that kind of raw athleticism. I think he's awesome in his first step off the ball. Um, I I just think my pick would be Tyreek Smith just because I think he takes – somewhat of a step forward. I don't think he's gonna have 12 sacks or something like that, but you know, I think he takes somewhat of a step forward, whether that's six, seven, eight sacks. Um and the, the 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 value that NFL teams have in pass rushers, um, you know, I that's why he would be the guy that I bet on. I think Proctor's fascinating. Like you, I just have no idea what he is in the NFL. I really don't. Um, and I'm I, I, to be quite honest, I don't even 100 percent know what he's going to be like this next season, because I do think having the, having the one year um, as the deep safety in this defense, albeit in a bad defense, uh, is, is going to be really helpful for him because this is going to be nothing new to him. He's has experience back there now. Um, he should know what to do. He should be better. And and he is like a, like a lot of these guys at Ohio State. He is freaky athletic.
0: Is there anyone else, we were asked by Chris Carter's fall guy, who's one guy nobody is talking about right now for OSU who could surprise and shoot up the draft boards next year? Is there anyone else in your mind that that come, jumps to mind when you hear that question? I mean, you have a list of... Some options, and, and the next guy on it is pretty clearly the answer. It's
1: Teron Vincent. He's I knew that's what you were gonna say. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but it's easy. It's easy. It's like, oh, the four or five star who everybody says is awesome right now. Like, I'll go with him. <laughs> but but in all seriousness, like, if if he is great, if he is that pass rusher from the the three technique spot that that Ohio State envisioned when they originally recruited him, he has to
0: be the answer. Yeah, I think he. I think he's an intriguing guy because. Uh, certainly, I mean, again, like you said, I mean, five-star recruit for a reason, but the physical tools are there again, we've got to see it. And that's why nobody's talking about it right now. And I mean, I think the one question I I would still have there is because Haskell Garrett's back, is he a guy that's going to get enough snaps this year to where he can really, you know, legitimize himself as an, as an early round pick. I mean, he's a guy that I might see might still need two more years at Ohio state just to really be able to. Uh, maximize himself. But if he was to uh, come out of nowhere and emerge as an early round draft pick this season, wouldn't shock me. And his dad being Troy Vincent means he'll probably get some decent advice along the way. You would think. You would think <laughs> your dad being the, the president, the vice president of football operations, which literally oversees the committee that gives draft grades to underclassmen, you would think Teron would have good access to advice on what he should or should not do.
1: Another guy I'll mention um, in terms of this question is I would say Cam Brown um, because, you know, he was, he was pretty solid last year. And I think that, you know, his ascent happened really quickly in in the Ohio state program. I don't a hundred percent know what his health status is right now. I don't know, you know, exactly when he'll be back to a hundred percent healthy But he's fast. (laughs) He's
0: really, really fast. And you can get picked pretty highly based on that kind of speed. If he runs that 4-2 that he claims he can run at Ohio (laughs) State's Pro Day, whether that's next year, 2023 or whatever, that's going to help his draft stock.
1: I was trying to look back at it really quickly because I remember having that conversation with him in the locker room. I was just like, you know, how fast are you? And I don't remember if he said it was a four-two, but he stumbled, or if it was a four-three, but he stumbled. But but one of those, he's like, you know, it was a four-three, but I stumbled. I could have gone faster. I was like, that's that's an Ohio State cornerback
0: for you right there. Speaking of guys who are fast, I think we've also got to talk a little bit on this show about Jamison Williams and the decision he made uh, this past week. This all unfolded really fast. It was. Uh, last Wednesday, after we had already uh, recorded this show, that he entered the transfer portal, and just five days later announced that he is going to Alabama and joining their receiving core. And you know, it's kind of crazy because you know, typically if you're talking about a starter from last year's team transferring to go play at Alabama typically that would feel like a big loss yet in this case, because of how loaded Ohio state is at wide receiver really just doesn't feel that way.
1: Yeah. It's, it's weird. I sort of, I I wrote about that because you know, this is maybe the fastest guy in the room. One of the fastest guys in the room, um, a real deep ball threat, somebody who if Chris Olave had left for the NFL, we would have sat there in January and projected that Jamison Williams would be the starter with Jetson Smith and Jigba and Garrett Wilson in this offense. Um, he was a top 100 recruit, started as a true sophomore in a loaded room. When you lose that kind of guy and he's good enough that when he transfers, he goes to the national champion coached by Nick freaking Saban and where he might start right away should be a pretty big loss in general. Like if you put that all out there, like that's, that's what happened. And I don't think, I think they're going to be perfectly fine. And this is one of those weird things where it's like, I don't think Ohio state's better for this. I think Ohio State's fine for this, and I think it's better for Jameson Williams. So to me, this is just one of those
0: transfers that just makes sense. It's one of those things where attrition in this room, we knew it was going to be inevitable. When Ohio State signed four top 100 receivers a year ago and then signed another three this year, I mean, you just had to know there's going to be several guys in this room that are going to go finish their college careers elsewhere. I mean, there's already been a decent amount of it. and really out of the these top 100 guys they've signed in the last three years three of them are already out of a receiver room because jameson williams and mookie cooper have both transferred and g scott is now a tight end and yet they're still have the most loaded receiver room in the country because chris olave is back you've got garrett wilson you've got jackson smith and jigba who's a five-star recruit joining the starting lineup you've got a pair of number one overall receivers in their class in Julian Fleming and Emeka Buka, And then you have Marvin Harrison Jr., who we talked about all spring, looked fantastic. And you you still got Jaden Ballard as well, who's another top 100 recruit from uh, this year's class. You've got Caleb Burton, who's a five-star recruit committed next year. So that's the luxury that's been afforded to them by the way Brian Hartline has recruited ever since he's become a wide receivers coach is they've built up so much elite talent in this room that you can afford to lose a a, a really talented player like Jamison Williams, who I think will do well at Alabama. I do not mean this as a slight toward Jamison Williams in any way. I think he's a talented player. I just don't think Ohio State really needed him.
1: Yeah, it's, it's weird and to go to Minbuck's question. How should I process Jamison Williams selection of Bama of all places? I'm a glass case of emotion. You know, I think that that's the interesting part um, is he's actually going to Alabama and you know, that's going to be weird because I think that, I don't know if it's a hundred, like, I don't know if it's above 50%. I don't know if I would say it's likely that they meet later this year or, or in January, but I certainly think it's a possibility. I, I'm not going to rule that one out by a, by a long shot. We might see uh old first round pick seven banks go up against him, but it's one of those things where it happens so rarely that 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 when there's a like an Ohio State to Alabama transfer it's incredibly notable but also like my mind is weird so i went to this when was the last time that that somebody left ohio state or or was picking between ohio state and michigan and went to michigan because i was just thinking like you know jameson williams was Michigan was hypothetically in the mix for Jameson Williams. He was one of they were one of their top seven schools. He had built up a previous relationship with Josh Gaddis. Um, and you know it felt like Alabama had the sway the entire time. And to me this is just another reason that Alabama is really the number one competitor for Ohio State right now. Alabama and Clemson 1A 1B and Michigan, Michigan exists but they exist for Ohio state to beat them every single year. And they're not really competing for
0: the same level of players. And I just think that this is just another example of that. Yeah. I mean, the answer to your question would be Will Johnson, but uh, in in terms of, in terms of, you know, on a regular basis, the truth is Ohio state is competing more with Alabama and Clemson than it is with Michigan now for recruits, and that's that's just the truth. I mean, Ohio State is competing. Those are the, those are Ohio State's real competition on the recruiting trail right now. is is very competing with Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, teams like that because you know all of those teams are now are recruiting nationwide constantly, and you know the top prospects are more often than not uh, focusing on those schools. So or top transfers. In yeah, a- absolutely. And, and we're going to see more and more of that now that the one-time transfer uh, exception has been expanded to all schools. And I mean, I guess, you know, it, it also applies to one of the questions we were asked about this week about uh, Henry Toto and the, the rumors that continue there about whether uh, he's going to end up at Ohio State. And it sounds like that's an Ohio State versus Alabama competition as well. And to be honest, my answer is I don't know whether he's going to end up at Ohio State. Uh, I know that there was a you know, rumor out there last week that you know he was going to make a decision by the end of the week, and uh, that hasn't happened yet. I still think, based on everything I've heard, that Ohio State's probably in a good spot there, but he hasn't said anything himself. So uh, it, we're still kind of in wait-and-see mode to see whether he's uh, going to end up at Ohio State. But, I mean, really, if you look at it, there's, there's two guys right now who could still join Ohio State's roster in 2021, and Ohio State's competing against Alabama for both of them, and that's Henry toho and JT Tuomolowell.
1: Very well said, and, and and I don't think it's going to be the last time. No. I think this is going to be just an annual thing. Um, Absolutely. I think for Ohio State fans, we'll be uh, pleased to see Nick Saban retire whenever that is.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I would think so.
1: And I say whenever that is because I think it'll – be like two decades or something he'll just
0: bend time with his mind or something that man it's it's its hard to see that man doing anything other than coaching football
1: no that said he would be a great talker of football if you ever wanted to join the media side of it Do we
0: want to talk a
1: slight bit of hoops on our way out of here
0: yeah there was uh some basketball transfer news on monday as well that being ibrahima diallo transferring from a program and i think that does not come as a surprise to either of us, nor does it come as a surprise to many Ohio state fans, because uh, at least not those who have paid attention because he only played in five games last year for, I believe, a total of 10 minutes. Uh, So it it was pretty clear. He was not somebody who uh, was on the cusp of earning significant playing time for Ohio state, even when they had issues defending the post. Uh, They still did not find playing time for the biggest guy on their team. So uh, this does not come as much of a surprise. The question that I think is worth discussing here is now that there's another roster spot open, do you think Ohio State is going to fill it? Because I know that's what I was being asked by a lot of Ohio State fans after the news broke. And to me, it's an interesting question because they have this benefit of having a couple extra roster spots because Kyle Young and Jimmy Sotos don't count against the scholarship count. But that also means they have 14 players right now. And I know Holtman has said in the past that he doesn't even necessarily want to have 13 guys who are on scholarship and not redshirting because it's so hard to balance playing time among these guys. So do you think they're really going to look to – you know? aggressively pursue someone to fill this spot or do you think they might just leave it unfilled
1: yeah i think it's two questions too like one is will they and the other should they and i think that absolutely i think that the one like will they i don't i don't really get the sense that they will it's not like that they were projecting ibrahim Diallo was going to have any sort of role on this team anyway um i think you look at joey Brunk and assume that he'll play 15-plus minutes a game, and you look at Zed Key and assume he'll play 20-plus, and you just look at E.J. Liddell, and if he comes back, assume he'll play 30-plus, and look at Kyle Young and assume he'll play 20-plus. And if you do the math, that adds up to, I think, and off the top of my head, I think that adds up to like 85 minutes. When you're thinking about the power forward and center positions, there's only 80 minutes there. So if you want to add one more guy into the mix, I just don't understand how you're going to get the minutes together. So like, will they? I don't think they will because I don't know how you do. You're just you're you're looking at a rotation that has so many guys in it already. There's only one guy who, on this team who I look at and just assume, you know, he's not going to play. That's Kalen Etzler. I think he'll essentially just have a red shirt. I don't know if he'll it'll technically be a red shirt or if he'll play at all, um, but he's not going to have a role in this team. And that leaves 13 other guys that I think could play, and a lot of them are expecting to play, like. Dwayne and EJ, provided they come back, those guys are going to take a lot of minutes. And same with Justice Suing. And you look at a Seth Towns and think a healthier Seth Towns can be really helpful. If he's healthy, he's going to play a lot. You know, Justin Arns will be a senior. You know, they're expecting a lot from Zed Key. You have Malachi Branham coming in. You have Michi Johnson, who who, who, um, has now spent a year at Ohio State. You have Jamari Wheeler coming in. I mean, I don't need to name the whole roster, but those are a lot of guys that expect to play. So my thing with this is Would it be awesome to land some of these guys who are averaging like 14 and 10 somewhere? Like, sure it would. I don't know how you do it. I I don't. So I don't, so in terms of, will they, I don't think they will. And should they,
0: I don't really think that they should either. If you still had a realistic chance to land an Efton Reed, then you go for it. I mean, I, I don't think that they do. I don't think, you know, I know there were some people thinking like, Oh, maybe this opens the door back up for Efton Reed. I don't think they would have signed Joey Brunk if they still thought they had a shot to land Efton Reed. So, uh, I'd be surprised if that happens. I would be fairly surprised if they did, uh, bring in a, another transfer at this point, you know, you can't rule it out, you know, uh, you know, if the, if the right guy is out there, if there's somebody out there who they really think can make a big difference for their team and they can land them, then yeah, they should. But like you said, I think it becomes a tough sell with as many guys as you have on your roster. You know, and I think in some ways, you know, I I think in some ways you, you almost like you get into the hamster wheel here of like, okay, if you feel like, well, we have one more spot, well, we got to use it. Well, you bring somebody in, you're going to alienate somebody else who's on your team and they're going to leave. And I, I think, I think this is going to be true in both basketball and football where i think now that this one time transfer rule is in place i think you're going to a lot of times see teams are not filling their scholarships anymore because i think there's just going to be a lot less willingness for guys to sit on the bench and and not play and so i think it's i think you know especially in a situation like this where ohio state already has more than it would typically have from a scholarship standpoint i just think it's going to be tough to add anyone else without alienating somebody who's already on the team.
1: If this were a couple of years ago. I'd say add a guy who can sit out, but this isn't a couple of years ago. Correct. So there's no use doing that because I think if you look at it and you're like, I, I don't think, you know, if I were to guess right now, I would guess that EJ comes back and plays this season. I would feel pretty confident that he's not going to play two more in Ohio state uniform. Not if you're going through this process already. So if you, if you assume that he's gone, and you assume that all of the seniors after this upcoming season are gone, which, you know, four of them will have the opportunity to come back. But assuming they're gone, you look at the roster and it's like, well, you have three commitments. You have two current freshmen and three current sophomores. That is a total of eight guys. And that is a lot of that is a lot of other roster space to fill. So if you could add a sit one transfer, this would be the time to do it those don't exist anymore. We're living in a different kind of world. So expect that, you know, they will That I think that Ohio State will go after higher profile transfers next offseason than this offseason. But
0: right right now, no, I I don't I don't really expect that they're going to add somebody. Yeah, and obviously the conversation of won't add anybody, shouldn't add anybody that's contingent on the belief that Liddell and Washington are going to be back. Exactly. If, those, if those guys both go pro, then yeah, they're probably going to look for another transfer. Or if, two. if
1: one goes pro, I think that they would have to replace that because I agree. just imagine if EJ Liddell goes pro, your, your front court can't be Zed key, Kyle young, Joey Brunken. that's it.
0: Yeah. You'd no. have to add somebody else. Yeah. I think absolutely. If one of those guys were to leave, then you would, but obviously that's not what the situation you want to see happen. Correct. He also, Holtman also talked last week about it sounds like he's going to take his time replacing Terry Johnson on the coaching staff. He did say that Jake Diebler is going to be taking over the defensive coordinator responsibility that was previously Terry Johnson. So that would presumably create some flexibility into who is going to fill out this coaching staff. Do you have any idea where they're going to go with that? Or do you think it's really just kind of wide open for the time being?
1: No, I I do think it adds some flexibility to it. It's interesting because I do think that this hire is a little bit important because you do look at the fact that Ryan Peden is interviewed for several jobs. You imagine he's going to get one at at one of these junctures. You also imagine the way that Jake Diebler is recruited, Jake Diebler is going to have some interest in the not-too-distant future. So I do think that this hire is going to be important because – you know, Chris Holtman has only lost two assistant coaches in four years. And I'm not, I'm not projecting that both of those two guys take jobs next year, but you know, they're, they're on paths to become head coaches. It's not like they're going to be six year head coaches at Ohio state. So, so I do think that, that that, the hire is important just from that perspective alone.
0: There are a few of your other questions here that we uh, didn't get to this week. Uh, we'll, we'll try to get to them next week or, or whenever we have a chance here. Uh, coming up this offseason because we're we are in the throes of the offseason now we can just do a
1: mailbag we can just go along on some questions one of these days yes
0: no if you have if you apologize for those who are not getting to your questions today because we are running out of time here but uh, we will get to them here over the next few months because uh, now that the NFL draft is over now that spring ball is over uh, you know things this is definitely the quietest time of the year so uh, if you guys have topics you want to hear us talk about, let us know. Uh, we're definitely going to try to uh, be a little creative here. And and, and we definitely want to talk about the things that you guys want to hear us talk about. So uh, feel free, whether it's in uh, the comments of the podcast on 11warriors.com, whether it's in the questions, Fred, we post every week, or can be on uh, Twitter too. You can DM us or add us uh, with the questions you'd like to hear us talk about and we will certainly uh try to get to them here over the next few months but uh, that's going to do it for today i hope you guys enjoyed the draft talk the jameson williams talk and uh basketball talk and uh we'll see what goes on in the land of ohio state sports over the next week and we'll talk to you again soon